Hello everyone and welcome to itsyourseason.life where we are discovering and living life at any age. I'm Lisa Boson. I'm here to introduce you to people like you and me who have rediscovered themselves, stretched their abilities, and to me, kept their light under a bushel basket. I hear their stories and think, wow, that is so cool. These are ordinary people doing the extraordinary. So what are we doing? Well, you know how you'd love to hear your peers succeed, get inspired by those who just try? That's us. That's itsyourseason.life. Don't forget to follow us on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm there sharing weekly updates and, of course, what's in season, be it people, food, feelings, and nature. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of It's Your Season.life. It is February the 25th, and our guest today is Dr. Kay Lish. Dr. Lish founded the Compro Group in 1990 to be a catalyst for bringing people into balance and companies into alignment. Her mission is to guide individuals, teams, and organizations to engage their work with wisdom and compassion to create benefit for others. Compro has successfully worked with over 70 organizations spanning energy, telecom, chemicals, healthcare, consumer products, transportation, finance, technology, manufacturing, government, service, and education. Her focus is informed by her doctorate in organizational development from Ohio State University, and we are going to learn more about this. Her Bachelor's of Arts in Drama and English from the University of Texas at Austin, and her ongoing study of Buddhism, psychology, and social transformation. Along with her extensive corporate career, Kay and her ex-husband, Jerry, founded two centers for Tibetan Buddhism, which continued to provide meditation instruction and practice for thousands of students. She served as board for KDT in Woodstock, New York, and we're going to learn more about that, where she supported the building of monastery. And she continues to serve as the seat for Tibetan Buddhism in the West. She is a dedicated meditation student. Kay has practiced and taught yoga, meditation, and mind-body practices for over 40 years. She's currently engaged in a year-long yoga certification called Manifest Your Inner Teacher and a mindfulness certification program at Dallas Yoga Center. Her current passions are... And we're going to hear a lot about this age-friendly medicine, conscious leadership, longevity, and conscious dying, ecstatic dance, compassionate caregiving, interfaith collaboration, women's development, and mind-body health. And I pulled this from her website because I love this. Kay will rock your soul and help you stay forever young and playful in your quest for inner radiance, bliss, and continuous evolution. So welcome, Kay. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> wow, that's that's quite a lovely introduction. You know, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it, it is a lot. And we're gonna unpack that today. I am Excellent. so excited. I am just and I know there's a lot of in-between information there. So how do you want to get started? What do you want people to know first about this? expansive journey you have had and are still on (laughs) (laughs) I think what I would like people to know first is that I need to turn off my phone so it doesn't ring (laughs) that's the first thing remembering the details Um, I think the first thing um, that I would like people to know is to 
create an authentic journey for yourself. And you don't really need to know the whole picture from the start as long as you keep doing things that attract you and that feel like the right thing for you to be doing at that point in time and I think what happened to me is it's like a, a magic pond of stepping stones one thing would lead to the next to the next to the next and I never really had a clear like I want to be you know like my son wants to be a neurologist you know and he's he's working at it and very procedural I was a lot more playful in how I approached learning and career and how to use the talents and gifts that I have. And I think part of that is because I grew up in a very playful family. You know, we had, um, we didn't have a lot of kids in our neighborhood, so we kind of had to create our own fun. And we would make fun out of, like, um, doing the dishes or making meals or packing the lunches for school that day, we would turn it into a party, you know, and sort of enjoy the process. I know I learned from a very young age the importance of creative imagination. You know, my sister Patty and my brother Ray and I spent a lot of time making up games using our imagination to enact dramas and plays in, in the passageways of our house or on the patio or in the creek or out in the alley that we, um, we created a very um, lively way of living without really having very much, you know, without having many toys or many other friends or... And so it was a way to learn how to use the inner world and how to express that in my day-to-day -day activities. And that's been something very um, meaningful to me, very enjoyable. I remember one of my favorite vacations that we took um, as a child is we decided we would go to Padre Island and camp for two weeks on the beach with nobody else around. It was just our family and our food and our Coleman stove and a big, you know, like aluminum canister that we would fill with water. And um, we just stayed there for two weeks. And it was like the most fun I've ever had in my life. All we did was play in the ocean and figure out how to float on the mats and figured out games to play in the sand and enjoyed the cooking and enjoyed the uh, fish um, and just kind of bonded with the sea, the sun, the sand, the ocean, our parents, our family. And, you know, I just realized that that's such an important rooting of my belief, I guess, in the importance of our minds and the importance of um, using our minds to create really good visuals and images and, and using that creativity. So I really hear this idea of, of, of fun and creativity. And so tell us what kind of what happened next. You know, you had this childhood and we talked a little bit about your education background, but how did it keep blooming? How did you keep moving forward with that? What was an inspiration for that? I became very interested uh, in debate and extemporaneous thinking and in uh, drama 
So I got the opportunity in high school to have an amazing drama teacher. I mean, she rocked. She was so much fun and so full of life. And I learned a lot from her uh, about trusting yourself, you know, and letting your light shine. I was not a particularly beautiful girl at that time. I was a little chunky and chubby and, you know, a little awkward, you know, I was, but she said, you know what, just go with it, you know, just be, be yourself. And, um, I know I played a role called Myrtle May in Harvey, which was sort of a gawky girl character in this play. And it was, you know, it was perfect, but it was, you know, it was a way for me to really enjoy expressing myself. And so, I decided really from that and from those experiences and I think debate was really good too because that structured my analytical mind and got me thinking about how you speak and how you articulate and how you make sense and how you listen to someone else and respond to what they're saying to you and how important that is um, to see if you can you know, have a good argument or really at least have a good discussion, you know, a deep discussion on an important topic. And so I took, you know, those loves. I know my mom really wanted me to be a speech therapist, but I wanted to study drama. So, you know, that's why I wanted to go that path um, at the University of Texas and, you know, dive into what that world was and to learn more about it. And I, you know, I did... um, enjoy that very much. It was um, a, a time to, you know, we I did dance and drama, so I got to start dancing more and using, you know, that expression of my body, which I, I also enjoyed. And then I got this amazing opportunity when I was, after my sophomore year, um, to help um, the USO uh, by going with a troop of um, seven of us that traveled to all the bases around the Mediterranean Sea and did a performance um, for them that included singing, dancing, skits, you know. So it was just like such a great opportunity to see the world, to do something creative with a small group of people. And we would do improv and kind of extemporaneous things with the audience too. So it was... um, it was a rewarding experience um, for the soldiers that were there, you know, and for us. And, of course, you know, I got to see all these countries and, you know, fly in military planes and sort of it, it was a great it was a good growing up experience to do oh, that. I can. And and you still continue. We're going to come and we're going to come back to what you're doing now with dance and creativity. But I can see how that set the framework for you. And then, and then there's organizational development. That is that, and it just keeps going. So, uh, but there's also a strong spiritual piece to what you do as well. So, however you want to approach that, how, how would you, what would you like to share with that? How did that happen? I know um, I ended up going to the same university where my brother was. My brother and I had a very close relationship. He was 14 months older than me, and we really enjoyed each other's company and he he was a teacher guide mentor spiritual friend and so um at the university of texas i was kind of on my own at first he was a year older than me and 
I was in the dorms and doing staying with girlfriends. But then it was the 60s, you know, so we decided to move into a community housing with a lot of different psychology students where we would rent a house on what was called the drag then in Austin. Mm-hmm. And you, you mm-hmm. could get these big old houses and with, you know, lots of people could live in them. And, you know, you would share the kitchen. And so we started doing that. And in doing that, we begin to explore uh, a lot more about meditation. We begin to, you know, read books, and then we'd decide we all wanted to meditate together. We would um, decide we wanted to do special diets, like macrobiotic diets, so that we could become, you know, cleaner and clearer people. You know, we would plan adventures um, to Barton Springs and to other places where we would make them into kind of rituals where we're... Um, we're learning about ourselves. We're learning about the world. We would have tea groups where we would give each other very candid feedback about how we saw each other and, you know, what we saw as important in life. So it was, it was a time when I became even more interested in spirituality and meditation um, than I had been. Um, it was always been an interest of mine. I know I was raised Catholic, and it was a beautiful religion. I loved Catholicism, you know, when I was a child. You know, when I became a teenager, the rigidity of it started to irritate me and my brother, too. So we started, even at a young age, um, reading. We found a book at the Dallas Public Library called concentration and meditation or something like that and it was about how you could light a candle and gaze at it and and we both started doing that and we became um kind of collaborator collaborators in uh, t- learning and teaching about uh, meditation and he would find something and he would get me to do it that i would find something and so that became um you know, an important part of my, an even more important part of my life, I think, in my college years. And then, um, you know, after college, I was really, um, I wasn't ready to go into the workforce. You know, I really wanted to go on an adventure or some other way of learning. I'd been in a very structured environment, you know, at home and at work, and I wanted to begin just to see what was going on, what was happening with other people. So I had kind of a walkabout experience with my boyfriend of the time, who was Jerry, and we decided we would um, take our bikes and pack them with organic food like brown rice and sunflower seeds and and that we would go off on a journey and we would camp out at night so we, we had little sleeping bags and I think we had one change of clothes, you know. <laughs> we had very little. I know the first time we left and it was actually from my sister Patty's backyard. <laughs> they you know, we took us they took us off and we took off, you know, down the road that that they we were and they were watched us go from their pickup truck and they were waving goodbye and then we were wobbling and then I think we called him from a payphone and said, we have too much stuff. Can, can you bring us back to your yard and, and we'll spend the night? So we went back and got rid of probably three-fourths of our stuff and then took off again. And we were just on a journey really to explore our physical bodies, to 
see um, what it was like just as we met people on the road and to see the world at a very close-up, kind of slower pace. You know, you're not on a motorcycle, you're not in a car, you really do, you know, you see mm-hmm. a lot of things that, um, that you wouldn't normally see. And it was a, and an amazing journey. I liked it because it was um, challenging and because, you know, we, we, we kind of did it. I mean, sometimes people would pick us up in their pickup trucks and we'd go home with them and be able to, like, take a shower and have dinner with them and actually meet the families. I know one time even a very poor man wanted us to come spend the night with him, and we did. And he, all he had in his refrigerator was a loaf of bread and some water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we slept on his floor, and he was very kind to us, very sweet. And we, you know, we left him some money and kind of just, you know, it's just like a, a, you know, a sweet exchange with humanity. But um, on that journey, we ended up in New Mexico and it started to snow. And so we found a little house that was abandoned and we realized that we could open the windows and get into the little house. It was an adobe house. So we, we went in and spent the night there and went wow, this is interesting. Maybe we should stay here. And so we ended up um, staying in this little town called Elida, New Mexico, population 200, um, you know, for about five months living. You know, I got a job at Bee's Cafe. He got a job at the hardware store. And we um, experienced, we started growing plants and growing a garden and, um got to know the small town so we just got to you know and they were a little afraid of us at first because we seemed like hippies and they didn't have any idea what we were doing in their town (laughs) (laughs) but we ended they you know um we ended up buying that little house and it only cost um twelve (laughs) hundred (laughs) dollars so we you know somehow you know and it it was just um, that was just part of the magic of that time. I think it's just having that ability to um, to experiment a little bit and not have to go right into the workforce. Mm-hmm. I know we went from there. We just kind of continued on a journey up the California coast and um, hitchhiking. Actually, then because we had put our bikes away, <laughs> and we we actually wanted to help my grandmother a little bit and. California because she was very sick and dying so we took you know we spent time with her and took care of her and then um, just kept traveling but I started really getting the yen to go to graduate school I I was really ready um, you know to move back into the world and and I know we were in a we were camping out in Bend Oregon and we were by this beautiful river we were um you know, we were sleeping in a cave, I think, and we we decided we would ask our intuitions where we needed to go and what we really needed to do next. And so we both got a map. And um, first, you know, I intuitively picked where I thought we should go. And then I didn't share it with Jerry. And then he did the same thing. And then we both wrote down where we thought we should go. And it was Columbus, Ohio. And we oh. went... Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Why would we want to go there? You know, we didn't really know anybody there. We didn't, you know, it didn't sound like the sexiest, you know, most interesting place to go, but that's what it said. 
and so we decided we would do it. We would go to Columbus, and um, we ended up in Columbus in August, um, right before um, school was about to start the semester. And we both got the college catalog, and again, independently, we said, okay, let's pick the area that we think we should go explore. And we, so I got, went through, and I picked mine, and he picked his, and we, again, we both picked the same thing, which was this field called um, educational development. Mm -hmm. And it was about social change, and changing education, and changing um changing it, it in a way to really reach, you know, more people. And, and so we were excited about that. And we went to talk to them ab about the program and found out that um, they had just gotten this huge federal grant to set up this model training project to train educational change agents and evaluators and they had all this money and no students, <laughs> virtually. You know, they hardly had any students. So they were very interested in us, even though we were, um, you know, we were a little bit thrown together since we were still traveling and, you know, but they they liked um, our backgrounds. Jerry actually already had a master's in psychology. You know, I only had my bachelor's in drama, but they... You know, we were um, we were convincing, I think, in our ability to sell ourselves and to our dedication to wanting to, to do it and work with them. So we ended up um, getting into graduate school and we both got jobs, you know, that paid us, you know, a stipend. We got graduate research assistant jobs so that we could begin to live. And we just, we continued the bicycle lifestyle rather than getting a car we just got bicycles. So we would take bicycles everywhere, you know, to the grocery store, to the um, laundromat, you know, rain, sleet, snow. We were on our bikes. And um, again, you know, that was one of those um, disciplines of simplicity, you know, of learning how to live with a lot of um, simplicity. And I, and I appreciated that. And we loved our graduate program. Um, I, you know, it was very um, enriching. We got to not only learn, but it was very experiential. So a lot of it was actually developing things with teams of people and then taking it into um, clients and trying it out with them and, and learning um, by doing, which is, you know, always something that I have, um, I, ver I value very much. So, where should we go from here? <laughs> Is that about the time, y'all? Mention Auroraville um, in your in your bio. Is that the next phase or part of this? Or it, it is, you know, I've finished um, my graduate work with everything except the dissertation, and um, Jerry finished his, and we decided um, that we would really like to go to India and to find um, our spiritual teacher. My brother was already in India. He had actually been um, living there for a couple years, you know, so he was very much interested in Indian spirituality and he would be our guide and our um, helper. So 
we took the, you know, the, the money that people gave us when we graduated from graduate school and college and, you know, we painted my parents' house and, you know, made a little extra money, but we made enough money to buy our airline tickets, you know, to India with um, not that much money to spend, you know, when we got there. So we were, we were um, really depending on the grace of of the universe and of the higher powers to um, to guide us, but we we went to India and um, you know it's a shock, of course, uh, if, you know to be go to a third world country. You know it is it's so hot and it was so noisy and it was um, everything was more intense. And you know, I think our very first experience was trying to get a rickshaw driver to take us somewhere and. He ripped us off and charged us way too much. I mean, we didn't know the the rules of the of the road yet, and so we um, we loved India. Though um, it was, you know, there's it's so amazing to see people where they're so happy and their spirituality is so present in their lives um, all the time. You know, there the there's little altars in the shops and you know, people doing spiritual choras and, and throughout the day. So we just appreciated the joy that was there in India. And we um, traveled with my brother. We met lots of spiritual teachers and got to stay in different ashrams and monasteries. And that's where I really fell in love with yoga. You know, I got to stay at the Shivananda ashram and to learn yoga um, at that ashram and to do it on the rooftop of that ashram, you know, for many, oh. many days. And I, you know, I just, I'd already fallen in love with yoga some because I'd started at um, some Ashtanga yoga, you know, when I was in graduate school, but this kind of really made me love yoga. And I, um, I took then, um, I guess, we decided we wanted to give back to India because it was, you know, such a, it, it had been so kind to us. It was giving us so much. So we learned about this community in Auroville, which was down at the tip of India in Tamil Nadu, what well, used to be Tamil Nadu, I'm not even sure if it's called that anymore, in Madras. And um, we... Uh, decided we would go there and of course in India you just you just take the train or the bus everywhere and it's you know you get very dirty but it's pretty inexpensive so we got to Aravel and it is a very interesting place it is still there today um, it's designed to be a, a utopian interfaith community um, that is has people that have ex expertise in all kinds of things, in geology, in different aspects of science, in agriculture, in uh, managing water resources. And so there was a lot of people that were very smart and expert there trying to build a utopian community that was spiritually based, but that also would give back to the surrounding villages. And um, we were able, through some magic, to get them a grant through the Indian Ministry of Agriculture to do a program that we called PAVED, which was um, was around um, ag you know agricultural development and water development 
for the surrounding villages where um, they would share their expertise and help them get better irrigation, better quality water, better um, you know, be better crop rotation. So it was it was it was a gift, and so we got we stayed at that community for about six months, helping that get started, and you know, helping it get planned. And I know we overstayed our visa. We were only supposed to be there six months, and we just you know we stayed another six months, and so we really weren't quite sure how we were going to get back to the United States or how that was going to work. <laughs> but when we went to the airport, somehow we were able to, you know, convince them that our tickets were still okay and that, that we could use them. And I'm not sure exactly how that worked. But, you know, again, it's some divine mm -hmm. um, guidance and intervention, I'm sure. And we're able to... Um, return to the United States. We didn't really find our spiritual teacher there. I mean, it was a wonderful experience and we learned a lot, but I think we came home both, you know, realizing that we still hadn't really found the right spiritual path for us, but we were able to go back to our jobs and to um, our work at, in Columbus, and I was able to finish my PhD and to continue to work there. So that was wonderful. I know... Yeah. That is a fantastic, that's just a fantastic story. So, so I'm going to jump in for just a minute because I'm holding my fingers on about four questions I want to ask you. <laughs> so there are a couple of things that resonated with me and I want to take a little deeper dive. I love the idea of the, dis the discipline of simplicity and then this idea of spirituality somehow being connected to neurology and communication and and then I'll, the third thing to just think about is, but I do want to ask now, while it's front and center, is how did you find your spiritual teacher or your path? What were the steps to that? Maybe that's the question to ask next. How did you find your current teacher or path or successive teachers or paths? Um, I know we were working hard, you know, as you do when you're um, – starting out your career, very focused on our careers, and I um, finished my PhD, and I was able to get a job there at the university as the, um, what they called as the Director of Evaluation at the National Center for Research in Vocational and Technical Education. So that was the time when there was so much federal money coming into universities to develop um, innovative approaches to how you help more people get access to education and so I got to be on those projects and evaluating those projects and it, it, it was a great you know opportunity to do. Um, at the same time we did have um, friends that were um, that would come to to live with us you know from time to time because you know everybody was exploring um, you know, what they wanted to do. So we had a friend living at our house, and he really wanted to go to this Philosopher's Stone bookstore to hear a meditation teacher, and he didn't have a car. And so he really wanted me to take him there. <laughs> and so I didn't necessarily want to go, but he was, you know, very convincing. And so we decided to, uh, to go hear uh, some... Tibetan Lama talk at a at a bookstore, 
and we got there and um, we we met a man who didn't speak English. Um, he had a translator who had a very bad cold, like a scarf wrapped around his face so you could hardly hear him. He wasn't really a very good translator. You know, he didn't speak English that well himself. Um, but when we heard um, this um, Tibetan teacher begin to speak, we were both immediately um, transported and mesmerized into saying, oh my gosh, you know, this is our teacher. Here he is, you know. He was just such a um, humble, kind, radiant, compassionate, generous. Um, so even though we couldn't quite really know what he was talking about, <laughs> what was emanating from him was so attractive, so powerful that we, you know, we really wanted to begin to do that path. And so that was in the mid-70s, you know, and we decided uh, just immediately that we would help him and help get established uh, teaching, places for people to meditate, you know, because it was all just very new. He had just come from India. They were just, you know, they were in a place where they needed help getting started and so we we did have the opportunity to begin to have meditation practices at our house to begin to have him come as a teacher and give teachings and we would organize that so it was you know it was really the very kind of grassroots beginnings of having um, Tibetan Buddhism take root in the United States because it it you know it, it it had just been it was just little seeds that were happening and so you know I had the opportunity to um, help them um, not only get it established where we were in Columbus but also um, I was on the board for this Buddhist organization and I helped them with the beginnings of planning for building a monastery and creating their program, you know, so that it would appeal to Westerners. Um, you know, so I was always encouraging them about how Westerners think and what was going to appeal to them and what might, you know, put them off. They didn't listen to me all the time, but, you know, they at least they, they gave me uh an opportunity it was an opportunity to influence so it, it was wonderful yes so that, that's a seed that was planted in me that has nourished and grown um, from that time you know I really tried to build meditation into my day every day and I've, I have different practices that I do um, that are work on different aspects of my my body, my my mind, my obscurations, my clarity. You know, it's it's a series of different practices. And it's quite disciplined. You know, I count them and I try to complete the practices and then start the next practice. So it's it's a system of working on training the mind, of um, beginning to develop some sense of um, noticing how, you know, 
untrained your mind is, <laughs> you know, that it's jumping around and doing things and distracted and, you know, worrying about this and thinking about that and just beginning to, um, to find that softness and to find that peace that begins to come with repeated practice. And, and, and in doing that, you know, to it, it has these, a similar effect of opening the heart um, and where you see all your faults and all, you know, your flaws and all the things about yourself. And at the same time, you see um, how human we are and how human everyone is and that we all kind of are bumping around a little clueless about, you know, how to really be happy and how to um, not get stuck in negative thoughts and how to not just beat ourselves up because we're um, did something wrong or somebody criticized us, but just seeing all those um, things that we do with our mind begins to open up the heart of compassion as well so that you want very much to help others find peace and find serenity and find ways to... Um, you know, enjoy their lives and enjoy themselves and enjoy the experiences that, that they have, no matter what they are. You know, even if it's coronavirus, even if it's, you know, rolling blackouts because you're, you know, your heat's not working and all of a sudden the weather is, you know, two degrees outside. You know, that it it's all part of the experience of being alive and being a human. And, you know, it it's all... There's goodness in all of it and mm-hmm. and enjoyment in all of it and things to learn from all of it. And so th- that's been important to me. That, I think that's kind of guided me towards what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So I have a question before we go to what you're doing now because I really yes. want to know what you're doing now and how you're pulling this all together again is – you know, there's so many books and everything about being happy and finding happiness. What's the magic bullet for happiness? <laughs> the magic bullet. <laughs> the magic bullet for happiness. I think the magic bullet for happiness is, you know, I heart me first. I heart me. You know, I'm I'm good. I'm good just the way I am. I'm, I'm good. And I think um, also... Um, I love the phrase my sister and I say um, to each other. We say, um, easily, effortlessly, joyfully, and with grace. You know, that it's um, live your life just um, in that space. And, you know, don't try to do too much at once. Don't overwhelm yourself. You don't have to conquer, you know, a million things today. You know, you just have to live today and uh, do the best you can. Um, try to have some, you know, do some things that really nurture and heal you, some things that you really, you know, enjoy, that you have passion for, that you do things that you feel like can provide some benefit to others. And, you know, keep it simple and not try to, I mean, I, I know I was very ambitious as a young woman. I, you know, I wanted it all. I wanted to have a career and a family, and I wanted to, you know, learn things and go places. I wanted to exercise. I wanted to, you know, just, and I wanted it 
now kind of and it, I, I think I've learned that that's okay I mean it's great to have that passion and to you know to want all that and to realize that life has uh, many phases you know that it's a journey and that we have you know if we're lucky enough to live a long life that we we have we'll have time to do different uh, aspects and phases of our life. You know, I, I sometimes wish I, I had been more of a stay-at-home mom and, you know, taken more time with my son. But, you know, you, you have to make those choices at the, you know, in your life. And that it's almost like now I'm getting more stay-at-home time with my son. <laughs> I mean, because we talk a lot and, you know, he, you know, we're, I'm coaching him a lot in his journey um, to be, to be a doctor. It's just a pretty big journey. So he continues to try things, to learn things, to push his envelope and to, you know, to keep growing. And so, you know, I'm very inspired by him, the, you know, his process of continuing to grow. And growing in things that are quite challenging. And so it, it's lovely to watch him. Is this uh, Chris that you're working with, with the Mind Body Works to facilitate yes. activity? Yes. Yeah, it's my son. Tell us about that. <laughs> As I said, there's a lot to unpack here. So tell us about that one. Tell us about that. Well, I, Chris. And I and another friend, um, Will, um, we were working together um, on to help Chris. You know, we were, Will and I were coaching Chris and kind of as a tag team because, you know, a mother can only do so much. You need to kind of go through a coach that works, you know, that's relatable to your child. You know, you don't want your mother telling you what to do. So um, we decided um, that we wanted to share what we were learning um, with others, which was called um, Brain Body Works. So it was a way to integrate really using your brain and using the power of your brain and what's going on in your body through um, understanding how to exercise, how to eat, how to meditate, how to communicate. And it was basically a lot of things that we were working with Chris on. So Chris helped us develop the program. So we developed it, you know, all of us together, and then we um, presented it together. So um, we, we were able to do that. And, you know, we did it in yoga centers. We did it in churches. You know, we didn't do it really to make a lot of money, but more to you know, work together as a team and to present that content. And, you know, that's still an, an area, you know, that I'm extremely interested in. That, you know, the the whole area of mindfulness, meditation, longevity. Um, you know, I guess what I'm most interested in and trying to work on now is how to bring this ancient wisdom of these practices into the modern workplace so that people can know things that they can do that don't take a huge amount of time to help them feel more present, to relax, to enjoy what they're doing, to connect to each other. And a lot of those practices are around learning mindfulness, you know, learning 
to just do one thing at a time and to be present in what you're doing, to, to center yourself so that you stay present in your own body. And that means that you notice when you're starting to get all tense and, you know, disturbed to take a moment to relax, you know, to, to really use breathing, to use the ability that we have for deep breathing, you know, to get really good at noticing our breath um, and noticing how it might start getting more rapid or that we might be breathing much more than we need to or breathing shallowly, you know, how to slow down that um, and really learn, you know, by doing it to make it a habit um, to use breathing uh, effectively. I know there's more and more work um, helping us understand the power of breathing. I know uh, I'm just reading a book now called Breathe, which is about all this um, research and studies that have been done to cure people of illnesses using breath and that a lot of it was ignored or hasn't really been used because pharmaceuticals and other kinds of solutions came in but that there's a huge amount of knowledge that can work on things like asthma and Parkinson's and depression and that are just from learning, you know, to breathe and to use different kinds of breathing practices. So, I, I mean, I think there's just a lot to know um, that's from our, it's, it's a kind of a combination of looking at ancient um, practices that are in Ayurveda and yoga, mm -hmm. meditation, as well as looking at the research um, that's going on in neuroscience about how the brain works and how the neural pathways in the brain can continue to connect and grow and change and that we can uh, change the capacities of our brains through um, practice, through practices. And in doing that, um, we will become much more functional human beings. And, you know, I think our world is going to be complex. I think it's going to continue to be challenging. We're going to have uh, crazy weather and um, pandemics and um, things, you know, can be humming along, you know, just fine. And then all of a sudden you, you're wearing a mask and you don't have power and, you know, you've got to figure out how to um, get the most out of yourself and, and help other people get the most out of themselves in more challenging situations. So I, that's why I think I'm so interested in taking these kinds of practices and bringing them into the uh, modern world and workplace. And I think especially as we're so much more disconnected from each other now because we're in technology and we're, you know, so we, that we need other kinds of practices that keep us connected. And so I'm, that's something I'm very interested in and working on in a variety of ways right now. Yes. So am I able to mention that you're working with FEMA right now with their, is that okay to say that? So tell us what you're, share, share this, what you're doing with FEMA right now though, because. You know, FEMA is such a great example of a, you know, workplace that's quite stressful. 
And lots of times people have to work 24-7. They're called in on emergencies. They may have to shift gears real quickly. And, you know, you know like now they're all working on um, Texas because it's a federal disaster area. So um, what I'm developing for FEMA, and I'm developing a lot more online courses because of the pandemic. You know, that's just kind of the way people are are receiving and it's it's a course to help people at FEMA the leaders at FEMA um, to work with challenging customers so it is helping them in work with themselves and how they manage themselves and their own energy during challenge as well as work with another person who's agitated angry distressed um, and how do you do that? You know, how do you successfully do that? And it's a dance, you know. It's a dance of, um, of you know, compassion and skill and using your, your own ability to be present and centered and calm to help another person um, enter that space. And also, you know, how to be appropriately um, strong, to set boundaries and to be clear and articulate. And, um, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity because it's such, it's such a great organization that is in the middle of kind of stress, <laughs> you know, right in the middle of it. Yeah. So. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that was fascinating um, because I see, you know, disaster relief also, you know, they deliver, they have to deliver so much compassion and, and, and measure it and manage that their own staff potentially could become fatigued or stressed themselves just from witnessing or being bombarded with people in these uh, difficult situations. Right. I know, I, I know you have mentioned to me your work with compassion fatigue, and I love that, that phrase, you know, that it's something to be very conscious of, um, to, to really continue to fill your energy bucket, you know, and to continue um, to refresh yourself. And to set limits where you can and boundaries so that you can refresh yourself. And to know that, I mean, what I really teach is that your number one responsibility is to yourself. Um, take care of yourself first in all situations. Take care of yourself. And so that you're giving what you can, and but making sure you're taking care of yourself. And never give more than you can. So you just, you know, sometimes you'll be called on to do something, you know, that's a lot. But you can kind of, I think, um, regulate how much of that energy goes out um, of you. So, I mean, it's a skill. It's a learned skill. And I know the more you do it and the more you practice it, the better you get at it. And I watch, of course, my son do it as a doctor because... You know, you have crazy schedules and crazy hours and, you know, there's a lot of, of not only compassion fatigue, but just plain fatigue. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's something, you know, 
I've had, you know, I know that I've burned myself out at different times. You know, I just, and, it, it, and I know that it's not good, you know. It's not good for families. It's not good for, for you. It's not good for the whole scheme of things. You know, you don't want people burning themselves out. You want them able to, um, you know, manage and enjoy what they're doing, even when it's challenging. Sure. Yeah. So, so I have to kind of go two different directions, maybe. Um, so I want to I have two questions. Sure. Um, so we also have to talk about nurturing care, which is compassionate elder care. And I don't know if the conscious dying pulls into that. And then I'm sure all of us would like to know what do you do to kind of refresh and fill your bucket back up. But <laughs> So whichever one you want to take first. <laughs> uh, let's just talk about what I do to refill my bucket because I've learned to do a lot of self-care practices um, and many of them are from Ayurveda but I think they really do help. Um, like I do you know, these are just like things I just do, like brushing my teeth. I'll do body brushing with a brush to kind of um, clear the lymphatic system. And I do that when I wake up in the morning. I do um, body oiling, which is called Abhyanga, which is, again, just helps to massage the body, giving yourself self-massage. And you can sort of notice where there's tension in the body and you begin to you know, to move that through the body. I know I, I'm very in love with, um, you know, Qigong and sort of that kind of a noticing that we have all these, you know, acupuncture points in our body. So I take a lot of time to massage, not a lot of time, but just whenever I think about it, to massage my hands and my ears and my shoulders and my belly and, um, and I do that even when I'm, you know, throughout the day, uh, I might give myself a little self-massage or a little body wake up, perk up. I, I take um, time whenever I'm waiting or at an elevator or waiting in a line. I use it as an opportunity to do a little bit of exercise. So I might do stretching, I might do breathing. If I'm pumping gas, I might stand on one leg, you know, you know, balancing and then try the other leg. And when I'm waiting for luggage at the airport, you know, I'm, you know, kind of doing exercises to, um, you know, kind of refresh myself from the flight, stretching out nice and long or, you know, feeling, you know, I try to not be obnoxious about it, you know, where everybody's going, well, I wonder what she's doing. <laughs> there's a lot of ways to subtly um, do those things or there's a, a lot of times when you, you have those moments of privacy, you know, where you, you know, you can do it. And plus, I think it's a good thing to model for others, you know, that that we need to be doing those little self-care practices um, throughout our day. Um, and I'm a big fan of, um, you know, high-intensity workouts too. I, I really like to do the Peloton bike where I, you know, push myself hard and get that sense of breathing and, you know, sweating. And I think infrared saunas are really a good thing to um, heal the body and to keep it keep it young. So I, I try to incorporate those things. I know now I used to love to get massages, but now since 
COVID, you know, I haven't really had them. So, you know, I give myself massages. And I used to love to get manicures, and, but I don't really do that anymore. So now, you know, I just kind of learned to do that for myself, but do it in a way that's nurturing, that's, mm-hmm. you know, self-care. Um, and it, I guess um, one thing I've learned from my sister, Patty, is just to really appreciate um, the little moments of beauty in the day. You know, the sunrise and sunset, to just take a moment and and really look at it, really appreciate it and let that light come into you and, you know, and any, you know, a flower or just as, you know, something, a child, something that um, catches your eye and you know, just really appreciate it and enjoy it. I think those are, are very healing and refreshing. So those are some of my self-care practices that I do. So spirituality means different things to different people. What does it mean to you? I think mainly for me, it means to be fully present, um, to really notice um, yourself, notice what's going on with you, and be present with other people, to, you know, to receive them as fully as you can. There, with your heart open and your senses open, to um, and and I think it's to trust that there is divine guidance and that there is um, a reason that we're here. You know that we're on a path to to learn and to grow, and that the life that we've been given, no matter what it is, is is the life that we're you know, designed to have and destined to have and that it's, it's, a, it's, it's good. It's basically good and it's, you know, what we need and that we should just, you know, I, I know some lessons I've had to learn over and over and over again because <laughs> I don't quite get it. But, you know, I, um, you know, I try to uh, learn from my experiences of how to uh, um, keep evolving. And I, I think... I'm very um, open to all religions. I think they're all good and all precious in that you know that there's lots of different ways to practice and I you know I have some that I prefer but I'm open to all religions. I'm in a an organization in Dallas where I'm on the board. It's called Thanksgiving Square and it's an interfaith community where we're all learning about each other's religions and sharing each other's spiritual practices and and I find that to be uh, very you know very healthy very Mm -hmm. insightful so you have shared a lot of your background what you're what you have done and what you are doing and I know you you do continue to teach yoga mind and mindfulness and and meditation did, did I leave anything out is there anything else you'd like to add or yeah I do love to teach yoga um, and I teach it some now you know as I get older you know it's like I, I can't quite do some of the things I used to do <laughs> but you know what I figure is you just you do what you can you do and it's usually enough and so I do enjoy I think I really enjoy what happens when you teach yoga is everybody comes into sync together. You know, people's bodies, their breathing, you're all 
doing it together as you work. And so there's a certain rhythm, harmony, dance that happens that's, that I find very magical. You know, it's healing. It's, it, it's like we're, being, we're able to communicate something with each other that's very healing um, in that space. I think I, would, I found the same thing in drama that, you know, when you're at a live play, there's something magical that happens that doesn't mm-hmm. happen when you're watching it you know, on a screen, there's people with their talents and their communication and they're expressing the important emotions and things and feelings and you receive it. You know, you receive it at a different level. So, you know, I I love live theater and I love, um, you know, I, I don't really love Netflix, <laughs> but I, just like everybody else, it's very educational, you know, it's very... Uh, and there's a lot of good stuff on it, but it, it's not quite the rich, the same rich experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's see. What else did you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this, I'm going to phrase it this way. We can always cut it out if we need to. So, what do you see for yourself in the next bend of the river? What do you, yeah? I think. Um, you know, the challenge of of growing old and, get, you know, aging gracefully and aging skillfully is, you know, it's something I'm, I'm very curious about and, you know, how to do that, how to help other people in that process of um, realizing some things are going to diminish, but then working with the things that are growing or that are, you know, beginning to flourish and letting those become more present. So I'm very interested in um, how we age and how we continue to add value um, to ourselves and to others in that process. So... I have have not really had the opportunity. I got to be with my dad as he was dying, you know, for the last, really the last year of his life. I spent a lot of time with him, and I got to help him do all kinds of things, you know, that were usually he had helped me with. (laughs) And it was a very precious opportunity. I got to be with him the moment that he died and um, afterwards and... It, you know, I realized what a, I learned a lot from him in that year. And I know that there's a lot um, children can learn from their um, parents as they get, start getting older and getting, you know, sick and, and, and dying. Because, you know, things, um, they do, you know, the, I don't know how to say it exactly, but things do, um, that there's just a natural deterioration of the body that's going to happen. It's, you know, it is part of life, and that that is um, an important um, a, an important process to watch and to to respect and to notice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was listening to a 
another podcast of uh, uh, it was actually an un- she was an undertaker, but she was talking about how we have kind of gotten away from really appreciating, you know, the end stages of life and participating in that and then participating more strongly in what happens afterwards. And where it used to be a family or or the, the, the wife or the mother, sometimes primarily women, that were involved in that. And we've kind of gotten away from that and maybe, you know, coming back into that will help us just appreciate a lot of lot of different roles in our lives. So yeah. Um, so I have um, a question. Kind of switching back to playful. H- how do you stay playful? Dance. That's my the main thing that I love. I try to to dance every day, and I usually, um, you know, I go to a small gym so I can dance my exercises. I love, you know, mm-hmm. to wear to have music. And also, I think having um, playful friends that mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, that I play with, I have several that are very playful, and you know, we um, like Will is very playful, and we, you know, we coach Chris together, and we we just laugh. I mean, we have fun while we're doing it, mm-hmm. and I'm in several different um, book clubs. You know, and one is a spiritual book club, and we're very playful. You know, it's a small group, and we really, you know, can tease each other and and share things about ourselves and, you know, laugh. And so I think um, I I love being parts of groups. I'm in a wise women group, and we've known each other for, like, probably 25 years. We've had this group, you know, going Mm -hmm. on. And so, again... We can laugh and play, but we know each other's story. So it's, you know, I think that ability to have intimate connections with people where you can be really authentic is very Mm -hmm. playful for me and very, very enlivening. So my final question, because we're almost at the end of our hour, if that works for you. Sure. uh, yeah. Um, so, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Maybe what we didn't touch on, or you'd like to maybe emphasize. What are some lasting uh, last thoughts you'd like to share? I guess one thing I've learned is that I have certain people in my life who've been my teachers, and I've I've learned important skills from them that I've kept my whole life. I have heart teachers and practical skill teachers. I know one of the things I learned from Michael Patton, who was an amazing uh, teacher of mine in graduate school, was the importance of asking questions Mm -hmm. and asking really good questions so that you understand another person and really understand their experience. And that has stayed with me as something very important to do, you know, so the ability to ask really good questions, and I know you get to do that, so <laughs> I can see that you're, you're quite good at it. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate that very much. So this has just been a wonderful 
hour with you. I am so excited we were able to do this. And so would you like to share with the audience how they might can connect with you or follow or keep up or learn more? What would, how do you want them to reach out to you or just connect with you? They could definitely connect on Facebook um, with me. I would appreciate that. Also on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Um, I would. Uh, I have a website, which uh-huh. um, is a is a great way to you know just to to learn more about me and connect. Um, I am. Um, I don't know. That's all I can think of. Are there more ways? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's yeah. That's LinkedIn and uh, social media and your website. I think it's just been delightful hearing this amazing journey and and just the expansiveness and breadth of your life and what you've learned and what you offer people and how you help others and um, and still help others. And, and you're looking forward to kind of what that next, uh, that next experience is going to be. And I think hopefully our guests will see that, you know, just continue on, keep, uh, keep living and just realize sometimes the ups and downs are just part of life and, and breathe. How about that? <laughs> and breathe. Very important. Breathe. Yes. Because yes. breath is life, right? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. thank you so much for joining me today, Kay. Thank you, Lisa. This is delightful. Absolutely delightful. <laughs> so that's a wrap for today. We've so enjoyed you being with us. I hope you learned something new, got some inspiration, and you are ready to move forward with your own new season. Remember, we are living life at any age. Take some time to visit the other social media sites. Give us some feedback. Shoot me an email on Facebook.